This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. My name is Mo, one of the pastors here. Thank you for being here today. And um, we are going to continue our Believe series. We, we took a little break last week. Thank you, Pastor Jim, for, for teaching us um, about servanthood and what that looks like in the church. Today, we are going to continue our Believe series, and we're going to jump right in. It's going to feel a lot like a Bible study, if that's okay, if we use our Bibles today, uh, verse at a time, just really dive into what uh, this chapter says. John chapter 11. We're going to get, we're just going to run right into this thing in the limited time that we have this morning. John chapter 11, uh, verses 1 through 16 is where we're going to start, and then we're just going to dive right in. Okay. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. And it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Verse five. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer, underlined two days longer, in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you and you're wanting to go there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And after saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant he was taking a sleep. And Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, underline so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Verse 16, so the So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. Let's pray. Lord, would you you work on our hearts this morning? Would you reveal something in your living word that would speak to us directly, that would inspire us to look more like you? Lord, we thank you for this time together in your name. Amen. Okay. Spoiler alert. Um that Lazarus gets sick, he dies, and he's resurrected. That's the story, okay? I don't know what the statute of limitations are on Bible stories, but that's the spoiler alert. That's what happened. But for today, we're just going to focus on his illness and his death, and we're, we're going to kind of go verse at a time here, verse at a time here, specifically the first six verses. We're going to kind of dive into these first six verses and what it means for us and then the, the really fun part of the story, the, the resurrection part of the story, we're going to leave that for, for Darren over the next couple of weeks, especially heading into this Easter season, which is fantastic timing because we know what that's a foreshadowing of, right? The resurrection of Christ. 
So the situation, these first six verses kind of broken into two sections. The first three are kind of the situation that's going on here. And then the the next three are uh, the response. So verse one, now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. They're siblings, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, brothers and sisters. They live together. They live in a place called Bethany. And Bethany is about two miles or so from Jerusalem, just down the hill, per se, towards the Jordan River. Not far, about an hour and a half walk away uh, from the big city, as it were. And Jesus and the disciples would visit them often. It was their favorite place to stay when they were traveling from the Jordan to Jerusalem. They would love to stay at their favorite Airbnb, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. That was their favorite place to go, especially when Martha was cooking her poppy seed chicken and her sweet potatoes, okay? That's where they stayed. They loved it. They frequented them often. It was a familiar place. It was a safe place. The gift of hospitality didn't have Martha and Mary. And then in verse 2, it's interesting It says, it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. He's giving a descriptor of the relationship that they kind of had, how endearing they were towards Jesus. He's actually referencing something that hasn't technically happened yet in the sequence of things. He's referencing what's happening in chapter 12, verse 3. If you have your Bibles and you kind of peek over one chapter into verse 3, you'll see the story of when Mary is washing the feet of Jesus and anointing his feet. But he brings that forward into chapter 11 to help paint this picture of the intimacy, the, the love that they had for one another and this family. It's not just an acquaintance. This was a very special family to Jesus. In verse 3 is when the story kind of starts to unfold a little bit where the sisters sent to him, the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Lazarus is starting to feel sick. He's not feeling so good. Mary and Martha sinned for Jesus. And they couldn't just pick up the phone. They couldn't just send him a text. They had to actually find a messenger to go find Jesus. And we learn at the end of chapter 10, Jesus is not far away. He's set up um, about, again, about two miles away along the River Jordan where John had been baptizing. So now Jesus and the disciples are there doing similar things. They're teaching and baptizing. So they're not far away, but they have to send a message to Jesus. So they find a messenger. The messenger comes up. They tell him, your Friend, the one you love is sick. That's all they tell him. The messenger goes and finds Jesus. You have to really think about the logistics of this. This is, this is not like a quick, uh, a quick turn here. We're not texting Jesus. We're not calling him. We're, we're, someone is physically having to walk about 90 minutes one way to go tell Jesus and interrupt him what he's doing and let him know that the friend, his friend is sick and then return 90 minutes back with a message. Funny enough, I actually got a text message from a buddy a couple months ago that said, hey Mo, praying for you, I heard about your diagnosis. I hope that uh, we're praying for strength and healing in your life. And I'm looking at this, like looking over my shoulder like, "Um, does somebody know something I don't know? Because I'm feeling pretty good, I'm not aware of a diagnosis. 
And so I texted the guy back. I'm like, yeah, all's good here. I'm not, not sure what you're referring to. And he just texted back two words, wrong Mo. <laughs> I, I, I didn't know you could have more than one Mo in your contacts, but he did. And it scared me to death. I'm already like on, you know, WebMD looking up my diagnosis. And I didn't even know I had one. But they couldn't reach Jesus, so they had to go sin for somebody. And so they do. And the messenger gets there. And he finds Jesus. And he stops him. Mr. Jesus, I've got a message for you. Um, the friend who you love is sick. And so Jesus responds in verse 4. He says, but when Jesus heard it, he said, the illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. He brings back a message. This messenger now receives a message from Jesus and now comes back to Mary and Martha. And for all intents and purposes, the message is, don't worry about it. Whatever he has, it's not fatal. Whatever he's going through, I'm going to get the glory for it. Like, send that message. That's what you need to tell them. Don't worry about it. He's not going to die. Whatever's going on is for my glory. It's kind of an interesting message. It's not necessarily bad news. It's not necessarily the good news. It's not probably what Mary or Martha were expecting to hear. They sent for Jesus for the obvious reason that they felt that he would be able to heal. They wanted him to come and be with their brother and heal him. But this idea that it was for his glory, for the glory of the Father, he mentions this very specifically, and it kind of causes you to turn your head a little bit. Like, what does that mean? Well, the fact of the matter is his glory can't be matched. Everything that we go through in life is for his glory. And what exactly does that mean? And why does he repeat it over and over and over in Scripture? So remember this, the testing of our faith is not a denial of love, it is an expression of his glory. The testing of our faith is not a denial of his love, but an expression of his glory. And Mary and Martha and Lazarus are about to experience this firsthand when they didn't necessarily get the response they were waiting for or expecting. But God talks about his glory over and over in scripture. There's, put this little chart together to kind of show you the different places where God is talking about his glory, where God is the God of glory. He's the king of glory. He's the father of glory. He's the Lord of glory. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of glory. And God's glory is exclusive. Isaiah 48 says this. Isaiah 48, 10 and 11. Listen. It says, behold, I have refined you, but not as silver, I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. You ever been in the furnace of affliction? For my own sake, he repeats himself, for my own sake I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. Feels a little harsh, but when you're the creator of the universe, the one and only God Almighty, whom all blessings flow, he is the one that can make this claim, the only one that can make this claim. So he repeats it. This is for my glory. Verse five, 
Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. It's interesting that if, if it wasn't clear before, he absolutely loved this family. They just weren't acquaintances. This was a family that was close to him, that he cared for deeply. He loved them. And I think this verse is put in there to kind of help give a little extra context to the next verse, verse six. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. He loves them so much, he would do anything for them except drop what he was doing and come to their help. He stayed two days longer. What is that? Jesus, I, I need your help. In fact, the name Lazarus is in the Greek is Eleazar. God is my help. That's Lazarus's name. And Jesus isn't necessarily doing that thing. <laughs> he's calling out for help. They are calling out for help. And he's not helping, seemingly not helping. He's like, you know, you're good. I'm, I'm just going to stay here a couple days. Y'all can figure that out. His delay starts to kind of wear down on them. Have you ever felt that about God in your life? You ever felt like you've reached out for him, you've been praying and you just don't hear from him? It's been a couple days. Like, oh, Lord, I'm, I am praying about this specific thing. Lord, I need you in my life. And there's a delay. It's been a couple days. In the waiting, and you're waiting, and you're waiting. But he says, not yet. Two more days to turn into a couple weeks. That thing, again, in your life, you need to hear from the Lord, and you're not hearing from him. It's been a couple days, been a couple weeks, maybe it's been a couple months since that affliction, that thing has entered in your life, and you're not hearing from the Lord. You've been faithful. You're in his word. You're praying. You've brought other believers alongside you, and you're waiting for the Lord. It's been a couple years and you still haven't heard from him. That relationship, that health issue, whatever it is, whatever that Lazarus that you brought in here today, each of us have a Lazarus, each of us have a Lazarus story, that dream maybe that has is, that is died, that relationship, and you're waiting to hear from the Lord. You're waiting. And he says two more days. So where's Jesus? I thought you would hear my cry. I thought if I prayed just hard enough and just right that you would be here. I think many of us grew up in, um, I'll speak for myself, I grew up in an environment where it was kind of a faith formula. If I, if I do all of these things, then I will get all of these things. Like if I, if I have just enough faith over here that when I pray, he'll answer it. And if I have just enough big faith, big enough, the biggest faith that he will answer the biggest prayer that I have. That faith formula is transactional. And I don't know if you've learned this yet in your faith journey, but that's not at all how God works. It's not transactional, it's transformational where he's transforming our hearts to look more like him and that's a process and it hurts and it's painful and it causes us to wait a couple years and maybe a couple decades. You may be in this room and it's been 20 years since that thing that you've been praying for hasn't happened. You're stuck 
and you think the Lord has forsaken you, you've reached out to him and he's not responded. He says, not yet. How fair is that? Doesn't seem right. Doesn't seem right. Listen, church, if you don't hear me say anything else today, I ask that you, you hear this. Our faith is a humble patience that submits our hearts to the will of the Father. Our faith is a humble patience that submits our heart to the will of the Father. And learning to submit our hearts to the will of the Father is probably one of the hardest things that we could ever do. I think of my, my new grandson. I have a grandson. It is the coolest thing in the world. I get to see him in about two and a half hours. I count down, I have a little timer when I get to hold him. Actually, he may be here next service. I may see him before two and a half hours. I'm getting distracted by the love for my grandson. But the fact of the matter is, he's already five months old, and his will is starting to supersede that of the father, <laughs> his father and his grandfather. It's like, son, you, you've got to go to sleep. What are you doing? Stop screaming. But it starts early, right? It's our sin nature. And so the rest of our lives, we spend submitting our hearts to the will of the Father. And sometimes it's, a, it's painful and it takes a long time. Have you ever been so mad at God that you feel like you need to do something about it? Like, what do you do when you're mad at God? You're allowed to be mad at God, right? You're allowed to have those feelings. Do you just not read the Bible anymore? Like, I'm done with that book. I'm mad at you, God. Not reading it. I'm out. Maybe stop coming to church on Sundays or anytime. Like, I'm not coming to his house. He's not listening to me, so why should I go to him? Why should I go to his house? You've stopped coming to his house. Maybe give him the silent treatment. You and God aren't on the same page. You guys aren't talking right now. You ever been so mad that you've been there? Have you ever been so mad at God that you willfully turned into a Zaxby's when there was a Chick-fil-A across the street? You said, I will not partake in that Jesus chicken. I am mad at you. That happened one time. Lord, forgive me. I apologize. You're allowed to be mad, frustrated, hurt, sad. You can have great faith and still be frustrated. I don't know who needs to hear that this morning that... You don't need my permission, but you're allowed to be frustrated at God. You're allowed to be sad, angry. He just asks that we not live there. Don't stay there. Because when you stay there, when you learn to stay there and you, you, you live in anger and you live in frustration and disappointment and sadness, when you stay there and live there, then you live like a victim and you forsake the victory that you have. You can be victorious through hard times. And that's what this lesson is teaching us. That's what this story is showing us. You can have great faith, still be frustrated. You can have great faith and still think, what the heaven is going on right now? What is happening? If I may be so bold to... I feel like I can speak from a place of understanding. Our son dealt with chronic health issues for 20 years of his life. 
Two decades worth, crying out, praying, crying out, praying, laying on of hands, praying. No answers. Had to learn a lot through that. Had to learn a lot. Submitting my heart to the will of the Father. In the past year and a half, he's been healed. And he lives victorious. The story that, that his great faith, the story of the faith that we had to learn, that that now tells his son and for generations to come is worth it all. Over the past couple years, as many of you know, we've been walking through health issues with my wife. And over the past few months, hard times. Lord, please take away this infirmity away, this wretched thing, whatever it is in her body, get rid of it. No answers, nothing. And you start to get frustrated and sad and mad. Like, what? Hello? Hello? Is this thing on? Submitting our hearts to the will of the Father. Over the past couple weeks, she's been healed. She's doing great. Surgery does a great thing. Modern medicine is awesome, okay? And she was hoping to be here today, but just maybe a few more weeks to get her strength back. So I understand. We've been there. I get it. But I would ask today that you are reminded to live victorious. As Martha and Mary are no doubt frustrated, they're, they're, they're sad because within the two days that it took for the messenger to go to Jesus and, and come back, not only has Lazarus gotten sicker, in fact, he's dead. He's died. And if we continue to read the story, he's not just dead, he's like four days dead. And it says later in the chapter, he starts to stink. That's how dead he is. Dead, dead. Isn't that a Princess Bride reference? All right, I'll work on that for next service. That was good. Mostly dead, yeah. But the hurt and the pain that they must be feeling to feel almost like a betrayal from Jesus. He was their good friend. He thought, they thought he had their backs, right? He stayed at their house. It was their favorite family. Wasn't there. Brother dies. Betrayal, hurt frustration. And I guess, I'm going to guess that in a room this size, there's probably a handfuls of folks that have felt or are feeling the same way today. I came across this quote. I want you to read it. I want you to just either hear me speak it or read along and think through the implications of this. Loneliness, loss, pain, sorrow, these are disciplines. These are God's gifts to drive us to his very heart, to increase our capacity for him, to sharpen our sensitivities and understanding, to temper our spiritual lives so that, they, so that they may become channels of his mercy to others and so bear fruit for his kingdom. But these disciplines must be seized upon and used, not thwarted. They must not be seen as excuses for living in the shadows of half-lives, but as messengers, however painful, to bring our souls into vital contact with the living God, that our lives may be filled to overflowing with himself in ways that may perhaps be impossible to those who know less of life's darkness. 
What's something that you went through that was really, really hard that ended up showing you not only your character, but the character of God? That's the point, that you would go through these things, that we would go through, the, go through these things to increase our faith. Increase our faith and give him glory. Increase our faith and give him glory. Over and over and over again until we get it. What this really is is a lesson in sanctification, right? Salvation, justification, sanctification. It's a life of being set apart so that we can look more like Christ, so that we may be glorified in him, glorification with him when we are restored unto him. It's a process and it's, it's our entire lives. John eleven fifteen. later in this chapter, later in this chapter, verse 15 says, and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there. Why? So that you may believe. Jesus is then telling his disciples, Lazarus is dead, and actually, I'm glad I wasn't even there. Like, Jesus can be, he can be so feisty sometimes. I'm glad I wasn't even there. Why? To increase your faith. Why, disciples? To increase your faith for what I'm about to do. Because what I'm about to do is going to blow your minds. They still didn't get it quite yet. And poor Mary and Martha and Lazarus are having to to kind of go through this. See, we have the insight of hindsight, right? The insight of hindsight. We have these scriptures available to us. We're able to read through this. John, as he's transcribing this, he's writing this. He, he, He was there. He can write to us about what happened Obviously, Mary and Martha and Lazarus didn't know what was about to happen, which is one of the greatest miracles of all time. The disciples didn't know, but it was a lesson to them, and it's a lesson to us today to trust him, to trust him, that our faith would be increased. Romans 5 speaks on this very specifically. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Therefore... Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace through God, with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse two, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, like all that's really good, but wait. Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It's a process. We've got to trust the process. He wants to pour his love into our hearts. He just wants to pour it to where it says it's overflowing, overflowing. And the only way that it can be poured into our hearts and overflowing is if we get rid of all the junk that's in there all the calloused stuff that's stuck in there, all the mud and the mire of living in a sinful world, in a fallen world. And the good news is he's, he's about to restore all of this. We're about to celebrate in a couple weeks what that's gonna look like. Him, resurrection, him resurrected 
in restoring this earth back to its original intent, which is to give him glory all day long. All day long. It's wild. Uh, This song that Connor sang this morning, that Connor wrote. Um, If you get to know Connor, I don't know, Connor, are you in here? I don't want to embarrass you. Hey, buddy. Um, He's a new dad. Well, he's holding his brand new son right now. It's like a month old. It's beautiful. But that song, I know that song is written from a hard place in Connor's life. And I love the lyrics of that. Would you revive us again? Would you, would you speak life into us again? Would you speak life into me again? I don't know if you notice as well, our, our Easter theme this year is revive us. And so starting with this story, starting with this passage, would you, would you start to think of ways in your life, start think of those things of, uh, in your life that, that, are, that are hard right now? and start to look at it with a new perspective, that this is for his glory, but it's to increase your faith. And that just because he's absent and silent doesn't mean that he's not working in your life. There's a bigger picture that he wants to revive us. He wants to give us new life. And perhaps you're in this room and you've you've never given your heart fully to Jesus. Today can be the day. Brand new life. Sins forgiven. Restored unto him. Guilt gone. His blood washes over us. And so as we head into this Easter season, would we start to do some of that work now? Over these next couple weeks, start to do some heart work preparing ourselves for the power and the meaning of what it truly means for Christ to be resurrected. What it is we're actually celebrating. Yeah, it's a fun holiday and we dress up and we play a bunch of games and eat some really good food. But don't let any of that distract you from the true meaning of the resurrection, the resurrected Christ. Because in Nepal, that's a big deal living in a communist country where you're not, not really allowed to even say these things out loud. Here, we're comfortable. And it just becomes mundane, just a part of our culture. Would you start today to remember that the work that he's doing in your life is to position our hearts more towards him, that he's looking to increase your faith and give you new life. Amen? Amen. Stand with us, let's pray. God, we thank you for your living word. We thank you that, that, that these words, that, that this book is as alive today as it was when these stories were happening, that your spirit is moving today as it was then. Lord, that we can have the power through the blood of Christ to live victoriously. Lord, and accept those things that are hard. Lord, we still pray. Lord, we pray for you to work. Lord, those afflictions, those sufferings, those those things that are wearing us down that we brought in this morning, those those burdens, Lord, we we pray again. We give them to you. Lord, would you would you heal? Would you restore? 
We trust you. We believe you in your timing. Lord, humble our hearts. Make us look more like you. Make us live more like you. Make us love more like you. We trust the process. We thank you for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.